I'm Audrey, and you're listening to the Agworth Podcast. And radio show. With, with our dad, Jeff Shulman. I'm Jeff Shulman, a marketing professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business. And it is my pleasure to bring to you the season finale of this season of Seattle Growth Podcast and radio show. I've enjoyed this season learning from so many people about adapting to the pandemic personally and professionally. There's been a lot of great insights that could help a business adapt to any crisis. And I've appreciated the opportunity to hear about the unique challenges our city faces and what the future holds for Seattle in the next 10 months and in the next 10 years. Before I take a holiday break, I'm excited to bring you two more perspectives. You'll hear from Dale Kutsera, the author of The Death of Seattle, How a Great Town Became a Lousy City. Dale shares insights into why he expects a challenging next 10 months. You'll also hear from Brian Robinson, president of Jet City Property Management, a commissioner for the Seattle Center Advisory Commission, and member of the board of directors for the Rental Housing Association of Washington. As a passionate organizer hoping to bring professional basketball back to Seattle, Brian Robinson shares his thoughts on how the pandemic impacts a potential return of the NBA to Seattle. He also shares what it's like to be managing properties in a pandemic, and as he shares the outlook for the future, you'll notice some similarities across the interviews, and also some differences in what they'd like to see happen in the future. I was able to conduct safe, socially distanced outdoors interviews thanks to the kind folks at KBFG Radio. And before we get to these interviews, I want to let you know that I'll be taking a break from Seattle Growth Podcast and Radio Show. But you have the power to shorten that break. Reach out to me by email, which you could find on UW's website, or on Twitter, at Prof Shulman, to let me know what theme you'd like me to explore in the next season. Or reach out to me on Twitter to recommend guests for standalone episodes. Or just tell me what you've thought of this podcast and how it's changed your thinking. You give me all the energy to bring different perspectives together in a constructive dialogue this season, and I could use your energy again to come back with more episodes. So again, reach out to me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman, or find my email on UW's website and send me your thoughts there. Now, join me in my conversation with Brian Robinson. I am here with Brian Robinson, well known for his passion for the Seattle Supersonics, featured in the documentary Sonics Gate with the Save Our Sonics, and still fighting years later. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So I know you're far more than just a, a Sonics fan and organizer, so why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself? Sure. I, uh, I uh, own and operate a small real estate investment and property management company in town. I'm a member of the board of directors on the Washington State Rental Housing Association and uh, was recently uh, put on the Seattle Center Advisory Commission, uh, which is a, a great honor to kind of be on the board of the Seattle Center uh, as a local guy who grew up there and spent a lot of time. Now, let's talk about the pandemic. These last nine months have been difficult on everybody uh, with the pandemic, and I'm curious, how have you been coping personally and professionally? And I'd like to start with personally and then dive into, you know, I know you're involved in a lot of activities that have been affected by the pandemic, so I'd love to get into professionally as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I, I'm very lucky. I'm a, a person uh, who has uh, means to get through and work remote, and, and I try to stay aware of that every day as I see so many other people um, who are really, really struggling. On a personal note, I, I had I entered the pandemic with a seven-month-old, a four-year-old, a 19-year-old, and a 17-year-old. So I had two teenage children who, who had to leave their freshman year of college and senior year of high school and, and come back. And, and as a family, we took health issues very seriously to protect our seven-month-old seven baby. 
So we, we really sheltered down for quite some time in the pandemic. We want to be safe. We want to be responsible. And uh, that's been our approach. And talk about professionally. So I know you've got some real estate interests. You're on the advisory for the Seattle Center, which is kind of built upon bringing people together, which is what we're not supposed to be doing right now. So how have you adapted professionally to the pandemic? Well, I'll tell you, it, professionally, it just hit so fast and we had to make adjustments. We had to protect our employees. We had to protect our residents. And uh, we switched immediately. We stopped, we stopped uh, charging sick days and told everybody, if you feel sick, don't come in. We don't want you here. Uh, we, we talked to our tenants and our employees. And I'd say really worked in partnership to make sure that everybody uh, got through the early days. Uh, now, as we start to get closer to the end of this thing, uh, we're still worried about our tenants and we're still worried about our employees, uh, but we're also starting to plan for, for coming back. And uh, the Seattle Center project is really a fun one and a, and a challenging one at the same time because the Seattle Center's official motto is Seattle's place to gather. And right now gathering is, is not encouraged or allowed. So we think that with the timing of this arena coming online uh, and, and the excitement around the Kraken coming on board, uh, I certainly, as a board member and as an individual, uh, think it's a, we can be leaders in, in bringing people back together and bringing families back together. And, and it's a very important thing to, to recreate these social bonds that we've been missing for the last year. So talk about this so people who may not be familiar with the arena and the Kraken. Talk about uh, what the arena is, uh, the Seattle Kraken, when you're expecting them to be here, and what you think that arena will mean to Seattle Center as a whole? Absolutely. Uh, Climate Pledge Arena is uh, a brand new arena built under the old roof of Key Arena. Uh, it's going to be one of the nicest venues uh, in the world, put together in partnership with a company called the Oakview Group, uh, Tim Laiwiki, who's got an amazing resume. And uh, they brought an NHL team to Seattle uh, right off the bat. And uh, the Kraken are going to open their season right as we come out of this pandemic they have sold tickets and generated enthusiasm and i just think you know in a year where there's been so much bad news and, and it's been so hard uh i think people are really going to latch on to, to some good news and, and some some uh something bright and happy and fun to look at and look forward to so i think it's going to be a real shot in the arm and, and uh, i'm hoping that that brings people back to Seattle Center. And again, we can really lead people back downtown because we have to have people coming back downtown, feeling safe, seeing that it's a great place to be again, and kind of reigniting that economy in the coming months. What aspects of life in Seattle or working in Seattle have made navigating through the pandemic better or easier than it otherwise could be? You know, the most amazing thing about Seattle is that it's such an educated community and people are so smart here. So, uh, I think that, that we've really all worked together in ways that have been pretty surprising. Like I said, my, my tenants and my employees uh, have come together and they've been smart in how they've handled this. And, uh, and the ability to work remotely, there's just such a high percentage of people here who have technical skills to work remotely that I think it's been easier for us than it would have been uh, in some markets where they didn't have that. Also, whether you agree or disagree with them, we've had strong, aggressive leadership from the executive positions. Uh, in our various municipalities, and at least we've kind of had an idea of what to do from them, which has been helpful. And what aspects of doing business or living in Seattle has made going through the pandemic harder than it otherwise could be? 
you know, the, the same things you always love about Seattle are the things that kind of uh, cause friction. It, it's a super educated city. It's, uh, I, I say it's a city of activists at a time of extreme tribal populism. And so there, there has been a tension here as we've tried to work out a lot of big, broad, global problems uh, in arguments here at a local level when people are really under a lot of stress and under a lot of strain. So I think the hardest thing has been remembering to be kind to each other uh, at a time where, where people are pretty desperate and pretty upset. And, and, uh, and then there's this whole inequity to it that uh, it takes a lot of work to, to see other people's problems and see other people's concerns uh, when tensions are so strong. Okay, so we're going to get into Seattle changes in general and how they've affected you personally and professionally. And we'll also talk a little bit about the Kraken and the Sonics because you're here, so we have to do that. But uh, as you may know, this year we're doing trivia on Seattle Growth Podcast. And your trivia question goes back to the history of Seattle. In 1851, according to the Seattle Archives, when white settlers came to this area, they named the town site after what major city? So I it had the same name as a major have city. No idea. Well, your the... chance to pick any city, whether it's in the United States or in the world, it had uh, the same name as another city. London. I, I have no idea, and I that's a bit, a bit of trivia I've never heard before. Excellent. So that's what we're here to do: <laughs> is educate the masses. I, I, I'm excited to hear. Yeah. So you and the listeners will be kept in suspense. But uh, Seattle, uh, white settlers gave this town site a different name originally. And that town site had the same name as a major city. Brian Robinson here goes with London. Uh, stay tuned for the actual answer or the, whether that, yeah, let me rephrase you, that. You can't see my, my, my shrug through the audio. <laughs> Can I pick a different name? <laughs> yeah, stay tuned for the answer. Um, all right. So let's transition to outside the pandemic. As you said, there is a lot of challenges that Seattle is facing and Seattle is not unique in many of them. What changes in this city have impacted you most positively that you've seen in these last nine months? Over the last nine months, I wanted to just say people coming together and being smart and the fact that, that uh, there has been continued growth. Uh, we're seeing new transit come online that's going to open up big neighborhoods and kind of ease some of the burden on our density uh, issues. But uh, over the last several years, I, I think that... Uh, Everybody in Seattle who complains about growth problems has, for the most part, made a lot of money off growth. Homeowners, property owners, business owners. Uh, we have to remember that, that some of these problems that happen are kind of inherent on big cities and are kind of a result of growth. And that if we're going to participate in the growth, we need to participate in solving the, the, the problems. Any changes in these last nine months that have impacted you negatively? I know the pandemic has been tough, but any changes in the city itself? Sure. I, I think that uh, we all know that there is more need and, and there's uh, more crime and there's more emptiness and empty space kind of uh, leads to things. I'll tell you, as a, as a member of the Rental Housing Association board, uh, there are issues not being able to evict anybody under any circumstances. And I worry about the stress and the strains in my building of people who are already feeling immense pressure and also don't feel safe with a couple of their neighbors or have ongoing long-term issues. So if I had one thing that I think has been really hard the last nine months, it's that we can't protect the people in our buildings on the rare occasions that we need to. Let's talk a little bit more about that eviction moratorium, because for a lot of people, they're seeing how many individuals in Seattle are really struggling and see it as a positive to not 
be out on the streets. So can you just bring a little bit more context to what that means for the landlord and for the landlord's tenants? Sure. I'll tell you that again, we've had a really good partnership with our residents. And uh, for the most part, there have been programs and, and aid available that when people have needed aid in paying their rent, uh, they have been able to work through various programs uh, and get that aid. And, and I've been really appreciative. There have been uh, some amazing corporate sponsors. And uh, that actually hasn't been a, the issue that I think we expected it to be. Uh, we do have some issue with people who just uh, don't call back. We, we No call, no show. Uh, people who count on the fact that they can't be evicted uh, due to COVID. And, and, so, and we also have issues with people who have real behavioral issues who impact uh, the life of the residents on their floors and in their buildings. So it's very important that we protect the people who, who are impacted by COVID and we need some mechanism to at least require people to certify they were, we, they've been negatively impacted or um, force some action when there's no response. We're gonna to transition to the future of Seattle and I'd like to stay on the eviction moratorium with this future of Seattle. What could be better in a way of protecting the interests of both parties and all parties involved? Well, obviously we need to provide more financial support and aid for people who can't afford to make payments. Uh, it would also make sense to implement some sort of program where people at least have to fill out a form or certify how they've been negative impact, negatively impacted and why uh, they're eligible for some sort of protection. And we need, we need uh, some mechanism when there are behavioral issues to uh, ask, ask residents who, who aren't working out well in our buildings to leave. And I'll add a, another thing on that is I think that it needs to be a partnership with greater participation from the residents. Because what I'd really like to know is that if I told one of my tenants in good faith, uh, call the authorities about your neighbor, report the behavior, that those complaints would be taken seriously and the people who live in the building can initiate some change. I, I, I think that a good partnership between the, the people who live there and the people who own the buildings uh, could lead to some policy that would make a lot of sense for a lot of people. Let's stay on the future of Seattle. And is there anything else you would like to ask of the listener to help create a future for this city that you would like to see? You know, I, I just think that we need to, to remember kindness and empathy on all levels. There, there are, are so many reasons right now to, to be fighting and arguing. And uh, we're all, I'm really bullish about the future of this city. I think that we have loud arguments because we're very passionate and we have a lot of people because it's a great place to live. But ultimately, I think we're all gonna come together and we're all gonna talk things out and we're gonna find ways to make it better. So I would tell people, you know, just have a lot of empathy and practice some incrementalism and find ways every day to make, to make things better because we have huge problems and the next few years aren't gonna be easy for anybody. What is gonna make things difficult here? Well, there are just tremendous budgetary issues in the pipeline and there are issues of how we are going to adjust to actual changes in people's lifestyles and shopping habits. Uh, we'll see it at the Seattle Center, for example. The Seattle Center isn't just a 90-acre park campus. It also has 30 nonprofits that, that uh, are the anchors of Seattle culture. And all of those organizations are going to have to figure out ways to bring people back and to uh, reinvent their business models. And they're going to need the support of their customers and their patrons and their friends and the people of Seattle to come out and make that happen. So I think that we're at a time where uh, we're going to see budgetary shortfalls everywhere. We're going to have uh, real challenges in just the basics of operation uh, as we start to look 
past the day-to-day -day difficulties of dealing with the pandemic and back to the kind of longer struggles of rebuilding. And uh, bit by bit, being nice to each other, cooperating, the people of Seattle are going to do it. So you're on the Washington State Rental Housing Association. Speaking of the future, what do you see as the future for Seattle rents? Well, it, they, they have plateaued somewhat and in some cases gone down. I, I, think it's, I think that the city of Seattle as a whole will probably continue to see rents rise at a more modest rate. Where I, where I think there are some real questions is, are people going to go back to Belltown? Are people going to go back to Ballard? Or are they going to want to move out uh, to areas where they can have more space and, and larger buildings? If you look at the construction of the last 10 years, almost every unit has been a studio or a one bedroom. So uh, I think we really have to take a look to see where do people want to live going forward for the next few years. And where do you think that'll be? I tend to think that, that people are going to, for the most part, go back to their old habits. I think people are, for example, we're here at the University of Washington campus. And now that everybody, every student here can work remotely, I still think many students are going to want to come and experience this wonderful campus. And I still think that a lot of employees in downtown offices are going to realize that the key to advancement is to go in and meet with your manager and to lead in person. So uh, I think there will be some shift. I think that vacation communities uh, where people can work remotely in home offices are going to see a bump from remote workers. But uh, I like to think that, that it's going to move back in the right direction over the next couple of years and that people are going to be anxious to get this behind them and get back to normal. All right. So this is the other question is the outlook for Seattle. We've had unprecedented numbers of people and money moving into Seattle. Uh, although you've, you've commented that maybe the percentage rate is, is not as high as it might have been in other times in our history. What do you think for the next 10 years? And then what do you think for the next 10 months? Next 10 months is really tough. I think the next 10 months is a holding pattern. Uh, we're likely to see additional business closures for small businesses. We're likely to see um, vacancies and emptiness. And, and how we respond to that will impact the next 10 years. But over the next 10 years, I think Seattle is going to continue to grow for the same reasons it always has. Very educated workforce, great quality of life. People and companies really want to be here. Uh, but it might be at a little more of a moderate pace. The, these last 10 years, anybody who's lived here knows that these last 10 years have put a lot of strain on people. They, they've, it has just been such a fast pace of growth that you hardly recognize things. I drove up 15th today and I hardly recognize the street. So I, I think uh, a little more normal is how I would characterize the next 10 years. All right, so you're getting more future questions than I think any other guests on Seattle Growth Podcast this season. But you wear many hats uh, being in the Washington State Rental Housing Association uh, and being on the Seattle Center Advisory Board. Let's talk about the future of Seattle Center and in particular the Sonics since you are a, a big advocate for the Sonics, organized the fans to try to save the Sonics over a decade ago and has continued to push on that dimension. What do you see as the pandemic? How does that affect the likelihood that Seattle gets an NBA team? I, I think it dramatically increases the odds. Uh, we were on a pretty good track prior to this, but uh, the reality is that, that a year ago, the NBA would have pushed back heavily on any ideas they needed revenue or that they needed help or that they needed something. And now, they are in a pandemic-induced problem that, that everybody knows about. They, they lost $8 billion last year, and they need to get some of it back. So I think that uh, there, there is definitely 
we have a building there's a reason for the league to to either expand or, or find a home for someone who, who's struggling in their market and uh, i feel very bullish about the sonics coming back in fairly short order and for those who are one of the hundreds of thousands of people who moved here after the Sonics were no longer a part of Seattle. Can you talk about what the Seattle Supersonics, the NBA team here in the region, meant to you personally? Yeah, man, I, I can. I, I've thought about this a lot lately. Seattle in 1989, when Sean Kemp was drafted, it was right where it is today. It had a, a 3% growth rate through an entire decade, added hundreds and hundreds of thousands of new people coming from California, right at the time that you had Sir Mix-a-Lot dropping Swass, Nirvana coming out on sub-pop records, Gary Payton, Ken Griffey Jr., and Sean Kemp drafted within a year of each other, two Husky championships. The 90s with the Sonics at Key Arena with Sir Mix-a-Lot were the influential time for anybody who grew up in Seattle. And it was really, really magical, and, uh, and it, it spoke to a lot of people. So I think that when the team comes back and uh, the new people who, who've come here and made this their home get to experience that, that they're going to get, they're going to feel Seattle culture really personally. And, and that's, uh, that's what it means to me is, is a tie to those days when my city was really taking shape. And now we're going to get the chance for concluding thoughts. Uh, but first, got to answer your trivia question. 1851, the town site was called, any other guess? It's not London. Yorkstown? Close. New York. New York. <laughs> so they named it New York, and then they added New York Alki. Um, Alki meaning by and by. And so that's what it was before they decided to name it uh, Seattle years later. So now it's time for any concluding thoughts. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the concluding thoughts I'd offer is that uh, this is an all-hands-on-deck time in Seattle history. And if you run a company, have people who rely on you, have a chance to go on a board, have a chance to participate with your school, uh, go out and do it. We, we really need people to step up right now and help and lead and stop complaining and start working. So uh, that's my final thought. It, we are going to come out of this stronger, uh, but we all need to, to get to work on it. Brian, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. Thank you. Next up is an interview with the author of The Death of Seattle, How a Great Town Became a Lousy City. Before we get to the interview, I have a request. If you're enjoying Seattle Growth Podcast and Radio Show, please give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. And subscribe to Seattle Growth Podcast in your favorite podcasting app so you are the first to know when the show returns. Please also share word of the podcast on social media. I'll be motivated to return with more episodes by seeing what the podcast means to you and what you'd like to hear next. Now, join me in my interview with Dale Kutsera. I'm here with Dale Kutsera, a Seattle writer who's been in the city for many years and also had some time in Los Angeles. Uh, Dale, thank you very much for joining me today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure. Well, I uh, grew up in the, the Northwest. I grew up in Tacoma, and I went to the UW here and uh, graduated with a degree in journalism and worked in Seattle, but ultimately... Uh, pursued my love of filmmaking and moved to Los Angeles to work in uh, the arts world and the entertainment world. And uh, after several years down there, I got kind of homesick for Seattle. And so I thought I would move back and I did. And I moved to back to find a very different city than the one I had left. 
And you've written about that in a book called Death of Seattle. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that book and how it came to be? Yeah, sure. It's uh, I guess it's a, a bit gloomier of a title. Maybe I should have had something sunnier. But uh, it's called The Death of Seattle, How a Great Town Became a Lousy City. And it really came out from the research I was doing in L.A. on on different things for this for the entertainment industry, but also for uh, the architecture world. And I had moved back to Seattle and found that the city was changing very rapidly. And I wanted to understand why it was changing so rapidly, what forces were at work behind the scenes that were leading to all this rapid redevelopment, a lot of very interesting buildings being torn down, some great buildings going up, but also some kind of not-so-great buildings going up. And in general, the, the whole fabric of the city was being rewoven. And so I dug in and started to look at the forces shaping Seattle and kind of comparing them to other cities I'd lived in. And that led me to think that really Seattle is going through a rather epic transformation now, probably uh, as epic as, as any in the, in the city's past, probably since uh, the transformation after uh, World War II, for example. So uh, all those things kind of helped me to put together this little book on what's going on in the city and hopefully providing some context so that people can kind of better understand what's happening instead of just shaking their fist at it every day. And so who is this book intended for? Is it for the urban planning enthusiast? Is it for the history buff? Who should be looking at that, checking out your book? I think anybody that's interested in a very layman's, uh, easy to digest version of a quick history of the city, some of the the major uh, forces at work right now, and uh, hopefully again to present some context for a discussion, an ongoing discussion of where the city goes from here. Because uh, we're all kind of part of the city, we're all having to deal with it in different ways. Some of us are very new to the city, some of us have lived our whole lives here, and it's good to have kind of a just a general frame of reference so we kind of know a little bit about what we're talking about. It's not a deep dive. It's a very easy read. Uh, and I think it's helpful to kind of as a basis for future discussions. All right. So Death of Seattle gives some background on the changes that we saw that inspired this podcast in the sense that there's been a dramatic economic change, dramatic physical change to the physical landscape. And so you cover that in the book. And we're going to talk in a moment about the future of Seattle and whether the pandemic has kind of changed your view on its trajectory. But first, uh, let's talk about the pandemic. As a Seattle writer, what, uh, how have you coped with the pandemic? What has this meant to you? Uh, oddly enough, as, as uh, most writers can, can attest, uh, I do most of my work out of my, uh, out of my home anyway. So oddly enough, uh, being not necessarily quarantined, but working from home, I, I've been doing that for you know 20 years now. So I'm not, uh, that wasn't such a big, huge change for me. Um, I think what was interesting about the early weeks of the pandemic is that it kind of gave everybody a little glimpse of what Seattle was like 20 or 30 years ago. In the sense there was very little traffic. Uh, it was very easy to get around the city. Uh, the mayor had made street parking free, so there's plenty of street parking. Uh, so the bad news is that every place, every, every place was closed down. 
but the good news was you could get there very quickly. So you you don't need to go anywhere, but if you do, if you want to, you could get there easily. Yeah, and even construction had kind of been curtailed a little bit so that we weren't always dealing with a street being closed off. Because it seems today, no matter where you're going in Seattle, you're going to encounter at least one detour. And so what aspects of being in Seattle do you feel has made navigating or transitioning in this pandemic easier for you? Well, the, uh, it's just that the, everyone's working from home and this, the, the lack of traffic. Now, it was that way for a good couple of months early on in the pandemic. And it was actually kind of amazing to get in your car and to know that you could drive from Ballard to Capitol Hill or from Capitol Hill to West Seattle in a very predictable period of time. Uh, since then, of course, the West Seattle Bridge has been uh, condemned or closed down for us. But the big change is that our whole society has kind of shifted towards online delivery. So now the traffic has picked up, but more and more, there's more delivery trucks. Everywhere you go now, there's delivery trucks. So you're, you, it's actually kind of morphed and adapted now. There's probably more delivery trucks on the roads than, any, than at any time in Seattle's history. Uh, and that's complicated getting around. What aspects of being in Seattle has made going through the pandemic harder for you? It's probably the same with, with everyone is, is the, the sense of isolation. I mean, as, uh, as a writer, as someone who works out of my home, I can kind of have social interactions whenever I want to. I would, you know, uh, you can have coffee with friends, you can go have lunch with someone, but even small social interactions like going to a store or going to a coffee shop and buying something from a, you know, the, the salesperson there. Um, all those little tiny things I've started to really kind of miss because once the masks went on, it seems that, and once the six-foot distancing kind of really was adopted, it seems that all those little tiny social interactions, kind of micro interactions, I guess, have been erased from our lives. And it's, I find that really sad. <laughs> so I don't know if that that's really answering that question about getting around the city, but that's what I find most kind of troubling about the pandemic. And now I want to transition to Seattle in general. You saw a lot of changes that inspired the book Death of Seattle that you've written. What about these last nine months? Are there any changes you're observing that are, um, let's start positively, any changes that you view as positive? As I lay out in the book, uh, most of the changes we've seen in Seattle are related to population. Just the simple fact that our our population has grown by hundreds of thousands of people in the greater Seattle area. And that has, uh, it impacts almost every aspect of life. So if there's a positive uh, aspect to this pandemic, it is that a lot of companies and a lot of employees are learning they can work from home and they can do that productively and responsibly. And I'm kind of hoping, and I think there's actually some some data in the real estate world that, that bears this out, that I'm hoping that actually some people can leave the greater metropolitan Seattle area. I don't want to sound like I want to trying to kick people out the door, but I'm just saying that for a lot of people who can do this, I think they will enjoy a better quality of life if they could, in fact, move out of a really hot housing market to some place where they can afford a house, afford a bigger house, uh, and work from home and have a better life-work kind of balance. Um, I think that could be 
the best result of the pandemic. Any changes in these last nine months that have impacted you negatively? Well, I think the whole the whole year has been a, a, a I don't know I don't want to call it a disaster, but it's been it's been a terrible struggle for so many people. So any inconveniences that I may have you know suffered are, are pale in comparison to people that are actually having to deal with the losses of loss of loved ones. And uh, there's a lot of people that have dealt with the loss of work and and terrible financial uh, constraints. Um, so all those things on the you know big picture level are just are just terrible. Uh, on a personal level, it's just not being able to have as uh, as freewheeling a social life as you might otherwise have. Like I said, getting together with someone for a coffee uh, on the spur of the moment, or going out to lunch, or you know if we're trying to see parents who are highly you know in a fairly uh, delicate uh, condition and they're, they're suffering from just age-related underlying conditions that make it make them very susceptible to the virus. And so you don't want to have interactions with a lot of older folks. And in some of my research and history that I'm writing now uh, on local architecture, I'm trying to talk to local architects who, were, uh, who are most of them elderly now. So that's kind of hurt a little bit in terms of the social side of things and in terms of my work side of things, the ability to meet people, you know, of course, that's that's countered with things like video chats and things you can do. But I think a lot of human communication happens around video chatting, around meetings, and it's more uh, it's more those small kind of relationship building uh, activities that we can't really do and haven't been able to do for the last year. And uh, that's been, you know, a real frustration for me. So you wrote Death of Seattle, uh, giving context to the changes that we've uh, seen in this latest boom cycle. And we're going to get to the future of Seattle as you see it. But first, got to do some trivia here. (laughs) And we're going to test one aspect of your history. Who was the first female mayor of Seattle? Oh, I think that her name was Bertha Landis. I think, uh, and I think that she had the. I think that she had the name Big Bertha, which was kind of a slight. But I think that's the first woman. I, but I can't. All right, sure. we're going to leave you in suspense. We'll okay. get you the answer <laughs> uh, in a couple questions. Uh, Got to leave the listener in suspense <laughs> to find out who the first female mayor of Seattle was. Uh, and I guess the follow-up question is, uh, regardless of whether you're correct on the name, what year did Seattle elect its first female mayor? I, I think it was the 1930s. All yeah. right. So you're going with Bertha Landis in the 1930s. We will get the listener and you the answer soon enough. But first, <laughs> I want to talk about your outlook for the city. What would you ask of the listener to help build the Seattle that you would like to have? Well, uh, it's tough. I mean, Seattle is... is in the research that I was doing on the forces that shape a city and how population and demographics really shape a town, uh, Seattle is going through something that really every major city has gone through. And it's, it's a, a boom time where we're trying to accommodate more people than can probably be, be uh, comfortably accommodated given the land that we have. We're kind of a unique city 
We're a lot of hills and water. We don't have the ability to kind of spread out very easily. It costs a lot of money to spread out because you got to build a lot of bridges and things like that. Where I'd like to see Seattle go is, frankly, to try and understand that that population really dictates cost of living and quality of life. And as we're trying to uh, accommodate more and more people, we're doing what, what makes sense, which is building more apartments, building more houses, building more density. But we really should also look at the demand side of the equation, and that is uh, the population. It's really not something that's ever been done by any city before, which is to try and limit population. I mean, no city, no country is, certainly in the Western civilized world, has ever tried to do that. Uh, China has tried to do some things to limit population. They, I think, a couple years ago put a cap of people on Shanghai. I can't see how we can stand a lot more people and still try to maintain any quality of life and quality of our environment and so on and so forth. So I would hope that we would try to be leaders in looking at how we can convince companies to open field offices in other cities and form other tech centers around the state and to provide support and encouragement to do that because I think if if that could be done you would you would have more people enjoying a higher quality of life and not going into uh, debt to, to just live uh, a very modest form of living, uh, a modest quality of life. Uh, so that's something that I think we have to look at. And it would take some bold leadership because uh, it would probably involve the city of Seattle going into the housing business in a way that it hasn't done since World War II in the 1930s and a lot of worker housing. And so you, you've painted a picture of what you would like to see leadership do and, and people and companies do here in Seattle. What about your outlook for what you think will happen? What do you see? These last 10 years were a huge boom, dramatic physical changes, dramatic uh, increase in economic activity, dramatic increase in population. What do you see for the next 10 years of Seattle? Well, sadly, I think that it's going to go down the road of, of all other major cities, which is to embrace growth and to kind of double down on the idea of density. Uh, the, the U District was recently upzoned, uh, and the University of Washington campus has a, a campus plan that's a fairly ambitious plan for growth. And I see those things as kind of mistakes. I would much rather have the UW open a, a different campus in Port Angeles or in uh, you know Vancouver or something and spreading out the population rather than trying to densify it. Because wherever you have density, you also have sprawl. And where you have sprawl, you have long commutes, uh, which have a toll on individual health and on the environment. And you also have uh, uh, a knock-on effect of... Um, uh, the standpoint that quality of life is just going to continue to go down. I think that Seattle is kind of inevitably doing that because that's the path of easiest, that's the easiest path to go down is just to let uh, companies grow here, to let developers build bigger buildings here, and to uh, try and create density. 
but density always leads to sprawl. And I think that uh, if there's uh, a way around that, we should try to explore that. Uh, I know that, th you know, there's other factors, things like uh, Amazon is, has huge growth plans for Bellevue, which is, makes sense because they want to tap into that east side uh, tech uh, workforce. But, uh, and, and Microsoft has plans, they're tearing down part of their older campus and rebuilding it, much bigger buildings, much denser buildings. But all those things are going to put more cars on the road and it's, uh, it's going to be a difficult 10 years, I think. And what about the next 10 months? What do you see happening You know, as the pandemic has slowed down traffic, people are working from home? What do you see for the next 10 months of Seattle? I think it's going to be a tough, tough year. I think the next 10 months, 2021, is going to be a tough year because uh, there's only so much government support that can be put in place to kind of keep things afloat. Uh, at some point in time, the pause button we've hit on our economy is going to have to be unpaused. And when that happens, there's going to be a lot of shaking down. And it's already happening. We're seeing a lot of businesses, smaller businesses in Seattle closing down. Uh, to a degree, we're seeing people um, changing careers and changing uh, how, if they're running a business, ch changing their businesses because the old way of doing things is not going to fly. Uh, I think that downtown is going to have a tough time, frankly, because I think more and more people are going to realize that working from home is actually much more pleasant than getting on a bus and schlepping 45 minutes downtown uh, every, every day. And that's going to have a knock-on effect for downtown businesses and stores and restaurants. Um, so I think it's going to be, frankly, kind of a tough a tough next 10 months. Uh, I do think that Seattle has an abundance of creativity and an abundance of very smart people. And just as the city bounced back after the Great Recession in 2008, 2009, and bounced back very quickly, I think it will bounce back quickly after this uh, setback as well. So come back a year from now, I think the city will be doing, uh, I, I think it'll be going great guns. Things are going to change. A lot of, there's going to be a lot of shaking out to do. But I think that the city itself will be uh, growing and eager to get back to work. A lot of people out there now are just eager to do something to get back to work. And I think that that pent-up energy is going to be unleashed in about a year from now. And that'll be nice. But until then, I think it's going to be uh, a, a, rough, a rough time. And what do you see for the future of you uh, as a writer and personally? Will you still be in Seattle in 10 years? And anything else you want to share about what you see for the future of yourself? I mean, it's, it's tough. It's, uh, it's always a, a, a precarious existence as you're know, writing. You're kind of working on different things and putting things together to kind of keep yourself going. Uh, I think that one of the sad parts of, of Seattle and Seattle's growth is that uh, it, the, the booming economy and the cost of living means that you really have to be focused on making a lot of money if you want to be here in the greater metropolitan area. It's kind of put the kibosh on modest economic activities. So the person that ran a bookstore or a flower shop or, or 
you know, repaired sewing machines or fixed your shoes or something. Those little tiny things that that once sustained a perfectly good middle class lifestyle in many cases are really going away because they're they're not profitable enough to let someone live in the area uh, and continue to do them. So I have already started to look at other places outside of Seattle to live and to do my work. I, you know, as, as someone who predominantly works out of their home, I really don't have to be in this metropolitan area. And so would you move in the state of Washington or would you head to another place, another uh, state? Oh, I'd, I'd probably stay in the state of Washington. I really love this state. It's beautiful and uh, it's, it's my home. And uh, I could certainly, um, every once in a while, days like today, I, I, I do miss the sunshine of Southern California. But uh, I, don't, I don't think I'll ever, you, you, can, you, you can never find a better place than, uh, than Pacific Northwest in terms of just the year-round quality of living. So I think that it's, uh, I'm, a, I'm a lifer. And now I want to give you the answer to your, the Uh-oh. trivia question. Yes. You had a little bit of doubt. You know, you said, I don't know, yeah. maybe. But you were correct. Bertha hey, Landis. look at that. There is a Bertha Landis room in City Hall yeah. uh, named after her. She was the first female mayor elected at a major city in the country, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you said, the 1930s, and you were close, 1926. 26. So okay. 1926, Bertha Landis was the first female mayor not only in Seattle, but of any major city in the country. You see, Seattle, we're a creative bunch. We lead the way. We're innovative. You know, this is uh, why we're a great city. I want to give you a chance for any concluding thoughts. You know, just would extend uh, empathy to the people that are hurting because this has been a year of, of great hurt for many people. And I think that we should all kind of keep that in mind as we're going forward, that, uh, that things are tough and uh, that we should be kind to one another uh, as, we, as we go along. It's, it's easy to get, get caught up, I think, in, because we are a leading tech hub, and it's easy to get caught up in competitive stuff and in the drive and in working long hours and all these things, but I do think that there's uh, this, this uh, a lasting effect, let's hope, from the pandemic is that we've adopted a little bit of uh, patience and kindness kindness with uh, with the people we encounter. Dale, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. That is all for this season of Seattle Growth Podcast and Radio Show. If you've enjoyed learning about Seattle's past, present, and future, check out the documentary I made with talented filmmaker Stephen Fong. On the Brink tells a central district story of history, hope, and determination. With unbelievable archival footage, fantastic music from the Central District, and heartfelt stories told from its current and past residents, On the Brink is available for streaming on pbs.org. That's On the Brink, and you can see it on pbs.org. I'd like to thank all my guests for their valuable time and insight this season. I want to thank Ed Cromer for sharing Seattle Growth Podcast on the UW Foster School of Business blog. And I want to thank the UW News and Information Team for sharing the podcast in the UW Today emails. I also want to thank Space 101 FM and KBFG Radio for broadcasting Seattle Growth Podcast and radio show. Please support your local radio stations who bring important community content such as Seattle Growth Podcast and other wonderful shows. And lastly, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for listening, for engaging in a constructive dialogue about the future of our city, and for joining me on this journey in the seventh season of Seattle Growth Podcast and radio show.